The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, here we go with another weekend, dare I say, the final weekend of January already. As we get ready for the fights, including light heavyweight, uh, three-belt world champion Artur Bedarbiev back in action as he fights for the first time in 2023, defending the three titles against Britain's Anthony Yard. We're ready to preview that. That fight card, plus a fight card for Golden Boy Boxing in Inglewood, California, involving one of their rising uh, contending fighters. All of that in the preview mode. A bunch of news and more. Good to be with you on the Big Fight Weekend preview podcast. I'm merely the somewhat capable host. He is our insider, content partner. Fight Freaks Unite is his substack. He works with us on Big Fight Weekend, uh, the podcast, bigfightweekend.com. Uh, he's apparently been a little surly today just by so, uh, social media. He has interaction with me. So stay tuned. Buckle up. As Michael Buffer used to say long before he said, let's get get ready to rumble, he used to say, man your battle stations. He tried that out for a while. Man your battle stations for Rayfield here on this edition of the podcast. Hello, Dan Rayfield. Hi there, TJ Reeves. How are you today? Uh, doing all right. Uh, are you done going back and forth trying to elbow drop Rick Merigian, the promoter, uh, off the top rope like Macho Man Savage? Can we get on with the podcast? Are you good? Did you get your fill? Did you get your Rick, Rick is my guy. That was not, I mean, Rick and I are friendly. We've been friendly for many, many years, but I, I've gotten tired of watching him make excuses for the decisions they've made about Jose Ramirez. And by the way, I say that with respect to the fact that they are entitled to do what they want. But mm-hmm. I would, my suggestion is do what you got to do. But don't make a lot of noise about the reasons why you did what you did. Especially if it's not bettering your well, fighter. Set the stage for what happened if you want to get right. into it for a minute or two. Right, real quick. Well, okay, so so Jose Ramirez, terrific fighter. I love Jose. Good dude. Been covered as pro debut, uh, Olympian for the United States, a, a tremendous uh, person in his community. Uh, I have zero bad to say whatsoever about Jose Ramirez, the person or the fighter. When it comes to the decisions they're making in terms of the way to guide his career, he lost in a very close decision to Josh Taylor for the undisputed championship. They both had two belts going in. He got knocked down two times in that fight. That was a difference, and they won 14 to 112 across the board. Uh, since that time has occurred, he has had opportunity to once again fight for the world title. He, when when Taylor gave up the WBC title, he had the opportunity, if he wanted to, to fight uh, Jose Zapata for that vacant title. Remember, when he was the WBC champion, he and Zapata had a very close decision uh, that, that Jose got the call in, and Zapata uh, was on the bad end of that decision. A lot of people thought Jose uh, that Zapata won that fight. Okay, whatever. Uh, he had the opportunity to fight him in a rematch uh, for the vacant title. It would have been, had it gone to a purse, but a 50-50 split. Jose said, no, thank you. He, he said he was getting married. He was taking the rest of the year off. Okay, your prerogative. Now, the, the vacant title was fought between Zapata and Regis Progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the fight that took place on uh, the Saturday of the Thanksgiving weekend this past November. And it was a, it was a very good fight, but Progre uh, won that fight by a knockout. Looked good doing it. Exciting fight. And now he's the WBC 140-pound champion. Jose Ramirez, when he stepped aside from the vacant title fight, was told by the BC he would be the mandatory. And he would be uh, in position to, if he wanted, he would have the first shot at whoever won that fight. Uh, he, he was then offered that fight from the WBC to do the match against Regis Progre. Uh, if you know anything about the rules of the WBC, when it would say vacant title, as it would have been with him and Zapata, it's a 50-50 split. If they do the fight as the reigning champion against the challenger, in this case, Regis against the Ramirez, it would have been a 65-35 split. That's the rule. You are certainly allowed as the challenger or as the champion to request a, a better split. Uh, the Ramirez side asked for that. They were rejected. It was going to be 65-35. As opposed to the 70 or the, I guess, 60, 40, they would say they would have settled for. But remember, and this is lost on a lot of people, and this is why I was kind of getting on Rick's case a little bit. That's only if it goes to a purse bid, which means that they don't make a deal and it's open to an auction to the registered promoters. And whoever wins uh, the purse bids, you know, uh, 40% of that money goes to uh, Ramirez and 60% would go to program. Uh, But you don't have to go to a purse bid. You can sit like normal business people and make a deal. And there's sweeteners involved, and you can hash it out. Um, they opted not to even negotiate, and then threw away the opportunity for the fight over five percent. And Rick, a title to- fight, a title fight is the emphasis. Keep Correct. going. A, a world championship fight, which I know Jose Ramirez wants. He's a competitor, so they made the decision again. Their prerogative. I'm not upset with them not doing 
the title fight. That's totally up to them. I get annoyed when they start making excuses why they're not doing the title fight. We're making more money to fight Richard Comey in a non-title fight. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to sell a lot of tickets. We've got all the leverage. Regis says nothing. And my answer to that is maybe your guy is the bigger draw. Fair enough. He is the bigger draw. I think even Regis would acknowledge that. But Regis has the gold. Regis got the belt. In other mm -hmm. words, there's something in this for everybody. Yeah, you're the bigger name, but he's got the world championship. And no matter who he fights in his next fight, maybe he won't make as much money as the Ramirez fight. Okay. But he's still going to make a lot of money. He's still going to make six-figure payday. I mean, a, I should say a seven-figure dollar, a seven-figure payday, most likely. Um, and he's and he's got the title. So it, you know, you can't have it both ways. Look, they were supposed to fight back a few years ago, and they maneuvered. So they could get Ramirez to fight Amir Imam for the vacant title, which sent Regis off into the tournament of the World Boxing Super Series. And that was a fight that was heavily um, uh, people were interested in that at that time. It didn't happen. They went their separate ways. Jose won his world title, had some good fights. Regis won his world title, had a terrific fight in a unification with Josh Taylor that he lost by a razor's uh, edge in a, in a, over in Josh's home turf. Could have gone either way. Uh, but anyway... I think most people, a normal boxing fan would say, I'd rather see Regis Prograde defend the world title against Jose Ramirez than watch Jose Ramirez go fight Richard Comey. Now, I've not nothing against Richard Comey, but at this stage of his career, that's a stepping stone, meaningless, not interesting fight. And he's not fighting for the world title. So again, let me reiterate, listen, I, I'm not, I have no malice towards Team Ramirez or Rick, who's I consider him a friend of mine in the business. You can't have it both ways. If you want to go fight the Comey fight, do your thing. But don't make excuses why you didn't take the fight over a 5% difference in what didn't even have to be a 5% difference if you negotiated, you know, you, the promoters negotiated with one another and your guy gets a chance at the world title, period. And I will add to it, this is me saying this, uh, from the cheap seats, and I think a lot of fans would be saying this to everything you just described before we move on and get into the fight previews and the other news of the week. Uh, are you in this to be a world champion? Because your actions sure ain't like you're interested in being a world champion. I mean, they also make it out like he's not going to make any money for the Regis fight. He I, 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 I got you, but, fight, but he's going to make a great pay. But you bet you begged else. off a world title, a vacant world title fight for your wedding. Okay, maybe we buy into you couldn't move it. You, you, had, you had a plan, you had a timeline. Okay. But now you've got an opportunity as the number one to fight for the world title, and you're begging off of it for whatever reasons to fight a fight again that does nothing. It does nothing to better him if he beats in a bigger Comey, fight. By the way, it doesn't right? better. It doesn't better him. So, are you in this to win a world title? Would be my question. And then listen Ramirez, to the me answer to that. Ramirez Progre is a bigger fight than Ramirez Zapata two would have been, and it's obviously a bigger fight than Ramirez versus Comey. So, there are certainly a handful of people who are Jose's most diehard fans in his home community in the Central Valley in California that will uh, go and watch him and pay for tickets, et cetera, have a good time, wouldn't care if he's fighting you, me, Richard Comey, or Regis Progate. And that's great. But the, the, the boxing community at large, the, the fans at large, uh, the media at large, it does give a damn. They would much rather see him fight Regis Progate. And again, it was a fight that was ordered and you can negotiate. It would then have to be enough. 60, 40, 70, you know, whatever the percentage was going to be, 65, 35, whatever. Give me a break. All right. So we gave that a lot of time. Again, thank you for finding us. Let's that wasn't even the, on the uh, TJ. That okay. wasn't on our rundown. But you know what? You were swatting him on uh, social media and better him than me, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so anyway, explained there. Now let's get into the fight previews. By the way, we appreciate all of you finding us, subscribing as we kicked off January here and had another very good month with audience. Keep it going. And by the way, there are people who are reviewing us, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Keep doing that, as we've made mention. Uh, we've got a giveaway at the end of the month. If you've rated and reviewed us, send us a screenshot. You've got a couple of excellent collector item Tecate uh, souvenir cups with the fight-like posters on the cups, commemorative cups from different world title fights over, I, I think it's fair to say over like the past seven, eight years, if not the past decade, you've collected these cups, maybe even longer than that. You're going to give a couple of them away to Long somebody time. that's going to review it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I review us and most importantly, take a screenshot and uh, send that to us by tagging Dan. Send it to me uh, at Big Fight Weekend. Tag us so we can see it. 
We're going to give that away to somebody at the end of the month, to anybody in January that's rated us and reviewed us. Yes, we are bribing you. All right, without further delay, we've got the Queensberry Promotions top rank co-promoted uh, main event. Three light heavyweight world titles on the line. Arthur Better BF, the Russian, who now trains, lives and trains out of Quebec, Canada. He is back in action, fighting Anthony Yard, a Brit. We expect a raucous atmosphere, if not a sellout, in Wembley Arena uh, coming Saturday afternoon. Here we go with Better BF in action for the first time since we saw him demolish Joe Smith of the United States to get the third of those world titles. All right, Dan Rayfield, set it up a little more, including better BF off an injury. Give us more on all of this in the buildup. Well, as some people would say, this is probably going to be uh, the word I give us is a banger. This is a banger kind of fight. These are two guys with, with great punching power uh, who like to come forward and mix it up. Uh, and I expect that to be the case. Better BF knows no other way. He's got skills. Yes. He didn't become a two-time Olympian and a three-belt world champion if he didn't have some ability besides just the, the hammer in his fist. But uh, he does like to bang it out, and all you do is watch that Joe Smith fight uh, is a perfect microcosm for that. That took place this past June, uh, two rounds, and just demolished him. And Yard's a good puncher also. Uh, not nearly as skilled, not nearly as experienced as uh, as uh, Better BF is. But it's a, you know, it's a mandatory fight. Uh, it's not um, maybe the fight in the light heavyweight division that if they said okay make your match that you would pick but it's a it's a perfectly fine fight yard will have the home crowd uh in in england where he's from better be a fearless about traveling no problem um and it just sets up as an interesting fight i, I think uh you know most people would anticipate a knockout the last time uh that you know yard fought a world title fight was against sergey kovalev who was obviously at that point slightly faded this is right right this is his fight before he fought against uh, canelo alvarez and he gave, listen, he gave Canel, he gave uh, Kovalev, you know, a pretty damn good fight that night. That took place in uh, in Kovalev's hometown in Russia, mm -hmm. and he gave him some trouble. But in the end, you know, he just didn't have that experience or or the chin, frankly, to to hold up. And uh, even then, the remnants of Kovalev stopped him in the eleventh round of what was a very good fight. He has won uh, after that fight two fights in a row, and then he had another loss against Lydon Arthur, who was just a regular uh, British uh, uh, fighter. You know, was he was undefeated at the time. They were fighting for. You know, the the um, I guess it was the Commonwealth title and some regional belts in any event. He lost a split call on that one, uh, has won two fights since then, including getting the the revenge against Arthur, who he stopped in the fourth round. So he's riding two fights in a row, a KO one, a KO four. Uh, I take that back three fights in a row because he also has a KO three after that. So he's been on a little bit of a streak, not against top names. Arthur is probably the best guy he fought on that group. But there's a big difference, TJ, from fighting a faded Kovalev and then these regular type British opponents to stepping up to fighting the guy that is the dominating force in the weight class. All respect to Bivol, who's got a world title also. But better be, has got three belts. He's got 18 wins all by knockout, two-time Olympian and the lineal champion of the division. Uh, he's the man right now in the 175-pound division. And... You know, his his proof is in his resume, the types of guys he's just been absolutely destroying. Like I said, Joe Smith left Marcus Brown, in, uh, uh, an Olympian from the United States, a bloody mess from their fight. Uh, you know, had the great unification against Alexander Vodzik, who, we, you know, basically retired that night, you know, pummeled him and, and scored a knockout. And up to that point had been a, a pretty competitive fight. You know, even the other British fighter he fought uh, a few years ago, Callum Johnson was a four-round shootout. He was the one guy that put Better Beav on the deck. And what did he do? He got up and he cut him down in uh, like four rounds. So, yep. you know, it's it's a whole different kettle of fish, as they say, to get in the ring with Better <laughs> Beav compared to the types of guys that Yard's been fighting. So I've, I've been seeing a lot of chatter on social media, like the hot like concept, the hot pick, the hot thought is I'm going with Yard. And certainly with his punching power, you know, he's capable of landing a great shot and winning the fight. But to me, the smart money is you go with the, with the, the more pedigree fighter, the guy with much greater experience, uh, with with better power, with overall skills. Um, the only negative I see in 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 a uh, in a better BF is he's 38 years old, uh, but he's a well-preserved 38 as a professional because he only has the 18 fights. You mentioned he's coming off an injury. Uh, right. Following the Joe Smith fight, he did have a minor, you know, clean above his knee. Um, by all accounts, that's that's long healed. That that's no. They remember they they were supposed to have this fight at the end of last year. But after he had the fight with Joe Smith in the summer, like June, uh, because of that 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 uh, procedure, 
took the rest of the year off. Understandable. So now it's rescheduled. He's healthy. I went through a full camp by all accounts with no issues. And I don't anticipate the knee being a problem. It wasn't like something hugely serious. And, uh, you know, I would say this, if you're going to watch that fight on ESPN plus Saturday afternoon, make sure you got your snacks, make sure you got your beverage, mm-hmm. make sure you got that right in front of you. Make sure you took a leak before the fight starts. Cause you don't want to be getting up and walking away from your, <laughs> your device. Well, Especially when the last time we saw Better Bev, uh, Joe Smith almost didn't make it out of the first round of that fight. To your point, and we're not we're not making Better Bev to be out to be unbeatable, invincible. But he's got seven straight knockouts in world title fights, going back to 2017. And back to Yard, decided underdog here. Better Bev is is four and a half to, or actually uh, eight and a half to one, or nine to one to win the fight. Is it still the case? Because it was the case for a while with his trainer. If it's still the same trainer that he and the trainer didn't believe in sparring, that this was like a new a new age approach to save themselves in sparring and, and to be more fresh for the ring. He wasn't sparring. He was still hitting heavy bag, speed bag, doing a lot of resistance training and other stuff, but wasn't sparring for the long time. If you know, is that still the case? Because that is highly unusual, if not maybe him being one of the few fighters you would know at a high level that doesn't spar in training. What do you know, if anything, about that? Uh, I don't know the particulars exactly, but I believe this goes back a few fights ago that they were not using that sort of plan anymore, that they were doing more of a traditional uh, right. type of camp. Uh, and if you're going to go into a fight with a guy like Arthur Better Bev and you're not going to spar, then you might as well not even show up because you're you're just giving yourself, you're you're just digging yourself the biggest hole in the world. Uh, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. You you know, you got to practice. I mean, if you're going to go run a marathon, you're going to put your miles in beforehand. If you're going to, you know, be a baseball player, you're going to take batting practice. If you're going to be a basketball player, you're going to go, you know, shoot free throws or shoot threes or take layups or jump shots or whatever in your practice. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to do that. So I, I suspect that they've changed their ways uh, and they're doing that in a more traditional manner. But listen, the main the main thing about the fight is this. If Arthur better be of is the winner, as most expect he will be, uh, top ranks claims that's his promoter that they will try to have at least a conversation about what we can do about possibly doing a match between uh, him and, and uh, Demetri Bivol, which is a tremendous fight. Now keep in mind that Bivol is with, you know, po- co-promoted by matchroom boxing. Callum Smith, who's a former super middleweight champion is his WB is the WBC's mandatory challenger, but he's also with matchroom. So he's going to want the, want the title shot, but they may, there may be a way to work it out potentially where, they could do the b-ball fight and obviously smith would get the winner smith of course is the older brother uh or i take the back the younger brother of liam smith who uh we talked a lot about last week after his big win over chris eubank jr all right so we'll see depending on how uh impressive and what happens in the fight with better bf how soon he could be back in there would bevo try to go for the canelo alvarez rematch if that's available versus undisputed i'd rather see the undisputed showdown personally well, i think that but we'll I think see as far as as far as Canelo goes, if he does do a Bivol rematch, you can almost bet for sure that it won't be the next fight. That if Canelo is going to fight two times in 2023, he will do a fight in the May time frame. Uh, the name that keeps coming up as a good possibility is John Ryder, but not no guarantee there. And and after that, for the second fight of uh, the year, potentially against Bivol. And of course, there's been a lot of conversation. Uh, and I've talked to the Bivol people about this. They're amenable to it. I don't think it's uh, been agreed to or been, you know, there's no contract or deal or anything. But there's the good possibility that if they do a rematch with Bivol, it would be Dimitri coming down to 168 to challenge Canelo for the undisputed title, as opposed to Canelo going back to light heavyweight to challenge for Bivol's title once again. Um, and and Bivol and his management, uh, Vadim Kornilov had for years, even before he got the fight with Canelo, uh, have said many, many times, you know, for the right fight, they're perfectly able, uh, weight making wise and and, and mentality wise, to go and fight in the super middleweight division if it makes sense. And obviously, to get a shot at Canelo for the title would make sense. And by the way, from Bevo's point of view, you know, having spoken to him not recently, but when he was uh, post fight of the victory of Canelo, to him, that would be motivational. He's already got the WBA light heavyweight title, so in his mind, it would be a motivating factor. If I'm going to fight the guy again, I might as well be able to win titles in a different weight class and become undisputed all in the same night. So there's there's a carrot there for Bivol too. So uh, it's a possibility, but don't ca- I don't count on Canelo Bivol too as the next fight for Canelo. I would think if it does happen, you're looking at the fight at the end of the year for Canelo. Um, and in terms of the yard fight, I just expect a fun fight. Yard's a good fighter. I don't think he's at the same level as better be if it's no no knock on him. He's been in some good matches, have a hard time 
picking him because I mean, is is he a better fighter than Joe Smith? I beg to differ on that. And you saw what happened. Does he? Yeah. Here's the fundamental question: Does he have a big enough punch? We know better. BF has a big enough punch. Does Yard have a big enough punch? And you and I, I kind of sense, don't really think so. But it's why they lace him up. If, step if he lands, the ropes, and we'll see. If he lands, maybe it happens. You never know. All right, we'll discuss that more on the Bet US Boxing Show and make a prediction or two. The over/under, by the way, is five and a half rounds on that twelve-round world title fight for three of the belts: the WBC, IBF, and WBO world titles that Better BF has. On the undercard, there is a WBA flyweight world title fight. Tell us more uh, about this matchup uh, that will be taking place. Um, it is a Ukrainian fighter. You were educating me a little bit about this, who's been inactive uh, for a little bit in Artem Dalakian. Did I come close? I it's Dalakian. Dalakian. And David Jimenez is the opponent. This is uh, for Dalakian's WBA flyweight title. It is the co-feature fight on this card at Wembley. Give me a little more. Well, it's a mandatory It's a mandatory defense for uh, Dalakian. He has been, as you mentioned, uh, a bit inactive. He has not had a boxing match since November of 2021, so did not fight at all in 2022 uh and the reason for that mainly was because he comes from ukraine specifically the region of ukraine that i believe they call it the donbass region uh that has been uh, heavily occupied that's closer to the border of russia and it's just been very difficult for him to get fights for them to do events because he has fought most of his defenses i think all of his defenses actually uh in ukraine in in that area and it, it haven't obviously you know with the war happening hasn't been any professional boxing action i actually uh, as i mentioned to you before we started taping in 2018 he fought on a on a card um in the forum in inglewood california that i attended it was one of the superfly cards uh, that tom Lawler promoted and he had a big victory to win the vacant wba title that he still holds today against brian valoria he's been defending that title since although uh, not in front of an american audience because like i said all those fights have been taking place in ukraine but he's a talented boxer um 21 and 0 with 15 knockouts and uh, just, just a skillful guy was a good amateur. And, and uh, in terms of Jimenez, he's getting his opportunity. He's a little bit older, you know, as a flyweight, he's 30 years old in terms of getting his first chance does not have a big resume. Uh, like I said, he's only got 12 fights. He's very unknown. He's taking a big step up in opposition to uh, have this title fight, but they were to make, they were able to make the deal. Um, it wound up on the Frank Warren uh, undercard. Obviously they could not have this fight in Ukraine as we just outlined. And, uh, you know, it's kind of anyone's fight. You got one guy who's a good fighter, but I don't think necessarily a world beater, despite his tremendous record um, with a long layoff, getting a little bit older in years. You got the opponent, Mendoza, not that well known, uh, going over to uh, to the to the uh, to, to UK to have this fight after having um, really fought all of his fights pretty much in Central America. Um, so he's traveling. He's had one fight that he that he had in the United States that was uh, last year. But other than that, all in the, in the Central America so it's sort of like flip a coin, I guess, in this fight. I mean, you can look into the numbers, but I don't know if they're going to tell you a whole lot. Little guys, too, at flyweight. Interesting uh, that uh, Delakian, Delakian, I believe, right, is uh, minus 170 on the bet U.S. line. Jimenez plus 140 with an over-under of 10 and a half rounds. And again, we would attribute that uh, to the Ukrainian being off basically for a year and a half. What kind of fight are you going to get from him, and is it going to take him a while to get warmed up? So that'll be the co-feature on Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night, prime time in the U.K. on the Queensberry Show. Before we move off of that, we want to talk about the Golden Boy Show. Speaking of the forums, speaking of Inglewood, California, coming up, that's where Alexis Rocha will headline uh, for Golden Boy promotions on Saturday night. Uh, later on in the evening, do you anticipate, this is just speculation here, that we'll get some kind of update on Tyson Fury because it's a Queensberry show co-promoted by Top Rank. Fury will be there at Wembley. Will we get some kind of, I'm not saying an announcement, but will we get some kind of an update on what the timeline might be, how his elbow went? I'm looking for that off the broadcast. What do we think, just real quick? I mean, that's anybody's guess. I mean, you know, you never know what Fury's going to say in an interview. Uh, it's been quiet on the Fury front. I've asked around to some of the folks involved and everybody sort of it's sort of status quo. The biggest thing is not so much that there's a, a problem in terms of making the match between Fury and Usyk. I think right now, according to what uh, top rank officials have said, what Bob Aramis said in interviews, you know, that really it's down to what the site's going to be. Um, I'll just say this. If they're going to do the fight when they wanted to do the fight, which I believe is sometime in like, you know, 
I mean, March is out at this stage of the game. You know, if you want to do the fight even in April, you really, and you're planning this type of big event, you got to get off the uh, off the dime and get it done. You know, it's it's not just like you're not planning a club show that you need, you know, uh, six or seven weeks to plan everything out. You got you to gotta really get your ducks in a row. Um, so I don't, I can't say I sit there and expect there to be a big announcement. Maybe they'll have an interview and we may get an update because Bob Aram uh, and Frank, you know, if Bob flew to the UK for this event. Frank is there. Uh, probably Tyson Fury most likely will be present also. So when, with all of them in the same building at the same time, uh, wouldn't be shocked me if we heard something from the big man. All right. We will see if that is the case. We continue on the big fight week in preview again. Alexis Rocha will be in action who is one of the prospects at welterweight for Oscar De La Hoya's uh, stable. He's got a last-minute replacement, at least a replacement that came in this week, um, that he will be fighting a veteran fighter from Ghana in George Ashi. Uh, Ashi, what, 38 years old here in this, has been around for a while. These are welterweights. This was originally the card where they had penciled in, always with Ryan Garcia, it's in pencil with an eraser, had penciled in Ryan Garcia to have his kind of warm-up fight before potentially fighting Gervonta Davis, which looks like it's going to happen in April. So Garcia chose not to headline. They kept the card intact. And Alexis Rocha is instead uh, the headliner. Uh, what, 28 and one. So Dan, give me more on this. He's obviously the decided favorite Rocha in this a little more on this. This will be Saturday night from California. Sure. I mean, Rocha probably would have been the co-feature fight had the Ryan Garcia fight taken place instead. Uh, and so it kind of came together at the last minute. Uh, you know, there was a lot of back and forth between Golden Boy and DAZN. Are we going to keep the show? Uh, are we going to still do a show on this date? If so, what's it going to be? Obviously the, the, <laughs> the pace structure changes if you're if you're if you're disowning, you're buying a Ryan Garcia fight compared to a fight headlined by Alexis Rocha, who I heard you say he was a prospect. I don't see him as a prospect. He's experienced. He's got you know twenty whatever fights with a loss. Uh, twenty five years old. Not that he's old, but that at that point you're like a fringe contender, rising contender, whatever. Right. I view him as a prospect any longer. But nonetheless, so they had gotten a fight for him against a fighter from Atlantic City area named Anthony Juice Young. And that was actually not a bad matchup on short notice in my mind. The problem was that uh, Anthony Young suffered a nose injury uh, in sparring uh, about a, you know less than a week ago or so. And so he was out of the fight. So they came up with George as she. And the problem, uh, I mean, I'm glad they're able to keep the show on. You never want to see fights get canceled when guys are training and everybody's relying on the, the income from the event. You know, he's a journeyman opponent. He's 38 years old. He's coming from Ghana. He's, he's only had... Uh, uh, this will be his only his second fight ever outside of his country. I had one fight back a few years ago that took place in the UK. Um, it was a loss. Uh, he's also a career-long lightweight who's had a couple of fights in the junior welterweight division, but now he's fighting, you know, a full-fledged welterweight. So, you know, it's not not an ideal situation. And it's it's obviously the type of fight where Alexis Rocha, who is, you know, a good uh, young fighter, should win and should win pretty handily. I mean, his one loss was in 2020 he lost a high, tightly contested decision to Rashidi Ellis who we saw put up a great performance against Romain Villa on the Javante Tank Davis undercard uh against Hector Luis Garcia on January 7th I thought that Rashidi Ellis won that fight he lost a close call got dropped a couple times uh, but that's the only time that Roach ever lost a fight and that was a, a competitive fight a couple years ago he's won a bunch of fights in a row the thing about Rocha that is good if you're a uh a boxing fan, if you like a nice crowd, if you're a golden boy, he does have a little bit of a fan base. Like he's from that Santa Ana area in California. This fight's taking place in Inglewood. Um, uh, for uh, uh, trivia's sake, TJ, it will be the first ever boxing event to take place at the new YouTube theater in uh, Inglewood, which is part of the complex where they built the SoFi Stadium mm -hmm. that is now the new home for the Los Angeles Rams, where they held the Super Bowl recently. Yeah, that, that thing is sprawling. I had the chance to be in there last year uh, for a Rams-Buccaneers game. You cannot fathom what they have done. The horse track used to be there, the Hollywood Park horse track. They knocked yeah, that exactly. completely down, poured the concrete all over it, and now have built building structures. Uh, the SoFi Stadium, the NFL Network headquarters, the Forum is still on the property, this YouTube theater. They've got other retail stores. They're going to have housing, Rayfield. They're going to have... Uh, all kinds of different. It's like a little city uh, going on. And by the way, across the street 
from that property. The Clippers are building a billion with a B, a billion dollar basketball arena. It's crazy. And it's right, by the, isn't it right by the forum also. Correct. Correct. And the, and the forum is still on the property where the Lakers with Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, used to play. The LA Kings used to play hockey. Great concert venue in LA. If you know anything about I've that. Covered, I've covered many fights. Ray, Rayfield was there for a bunch of boxing. They, they used to have like Friday night fights right at the forum, like once a month. I think I mean, in, I in covered California. the uh, we just met. I was at the fight where Delakian had the fight with Valori. It was a super fly card. I covered Bernard Hopkins's last fight against Joe Smith when he got knocked out of the ring. Was there? I covered Triple G fight there. I mean, I've covered probably uh, I don't know. I covered uh, uh, the final fight in the career of Juan Manuel Marquez when he fought Mike Alvar Mike Alvarado was in that building. I was there for that. Um, I don't know. I've, I'd have to look, but I've probably covered um, half a dozen or eight fights at the forum probably over the years. All right. And uh, the, again, the YouTube theater is not the forum. It's Correct. a different it's a different property uh, is a different arena on that property. So that's where these fights will be. And by the way, one more fight on the undercard. You mentioned the name to us before you're interested in this lightweight prospect, Floyd Schofield. He's on the Golden Boy card. Give us a quick little take here on this um, okay. and him fighting on Saturday night. He's a he's a 20 year old lightweight. He's 15 and 0 with 10 knockouts. Golden Boy recently signed him. Well, and to a quote, you know, there is now, I guess, his day to day promoter that puts on the fights, but in partnership with his original promoter, Davies Entertainment, he's out of Austin, Texas. And in his first fight for Golden Boy, he headlined one of their Thursday night shows that they do like the sort of the more prospect oriented cards that they've done in places like Fantasy Springs in Indio. And he looked tremendous in that fight with a first round knockout. And uh, I watched some video of the guy and I've talked to different people in the business around uh, who follow the younger fighters, who scout fighters, uh, who don't have a dog in the fight, who think highly of them. Uh, when I did my prospects list, like I do every year, I did mine this past year where I had um, Keyshawn Davis, the lightweight with top rank as the prospect of the year for 2022. I, I did a top 15 and I had Floyd Schofield as my number 15 on that, on that list. So I have high hopes for him and uh, he's got a good, a fan friendly style, but he's, while he's aggressive, it seems like he's got good skills and a, and a good ring IQ. And this is, uh, you know, it's a work in progress. He's 20 years old and he's taken on, uh, you know, Alberto Mercado in a 10 rounder. It's not so much about the opponent. You want to see how he develops and how he looks. And, you know, Golden Boy's got high hopes for him. He's looked good so far, whether he was in that first Golden Boy fight or in other uh, footage I have seen of him. And uh, he comes with a good reputation from others who know uh, that that level of the of the sport uh, really well. Had a, had a pretty decent amateur career. Golden Boy at first got a look at him. They didn't have him under contract, but because they did a card that was in Fort Worth last summer, they did the fight with Virgil Ortiz against Michael McKinson. They put him on the show, and they were very impressed by what they saw, so they made a deal with his promoter to to bring him under the Golden Boy banner also. And uh, just just a, a good young talent that uh, if you're going to watch that show, um, definitely worth checking out to see what, what he's all about. Good enough uh, on that. Okay, let's get to some fight news to wrap it up here on the Big Fight Weekend uh, preview. Some announcements coming over the last two or three days. Uh, Premier Boxing Champions on the day we're releasing this uh, podcast. We're taping it on Thursday. It's coming out overnight, Thursday into Friday morning. The David Benavides, Caleb Plant, super middleweight uh, WBC battle uh, for the, it's the Eliminator, right? Uh, for the Canelo Alvarez, or, or is it the interim? Which is it? I can't ever it's, keep it it's straight. Actually, if you want to get technical, it's both. Benavides has the interim title All right. because of the victory over uh, David Lemieux. But the winner is going to be, because they've got the interim, has already been stated by the organization that they will be the mandatory of the WBC title, which happens to be Canelo, who's got all the titles. There we go. So these guys will be fighting now. They made it official for March. We set the site, the whole bit. Give us a little more on that. Sure. March, March 25th, which uh, I had reported and others had reported also. So not a surprise. Uh, Headlines, the Showtime pay-per-view event will take place at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, one of the great boxing facilities in uh, the history of boxing. Um, I like to joke that I've spent more nights in the in the uh, MGM Grand in the hotel there than any other place ever, other than like my own residences over the, over the years. Um, but anyway, they'll headline that card. It's a it's a good matchup. Two two good fighters. Uh, Benavides has had a title twice, you know, the real title of the WBC got stripped both times for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Now he's got the interim title. Caleb Plant obviously had the IBF title, which he lost by knockout uh, when Canelo became the undisputed champion, uh, put up a game performance in that fight. These guys have been talking shit with each other for a long time. They don't like each other. Um, it's a good style matchup. Benavides is the quintessential, you know, brawler, banger, stalker, uh, good power, good chin. 
and uh, and plants more of the boxer puncher. Got that that got a swagger, got an attitude. Um, good boxer, sneaky power at times. Uh, anybody that know you know might have seen the fight that took place this past October. He fought in the co-feature when Deontay Wilder uh, obliterated Robert Hellenius in one round. The co-feature of that fight was Caleb Plant taking on uh, Anthony Durrell, who was also a former uh, super middleweight title holder. Was one of the worst fucking fights I ever saw in my life until. Caleb Plant turned out the lights with one <laughs> shot, and I believe it was a ninth round with a left hook, and left Darrell absolutely out cold. Uh, and as we talked about at that time, did not endear himself to those fans when he pretended to be shoveling dirt on top of Darrell while Darrell was still basically unconscious on the mat, which was kind of uh, something that classless. It was classless. classless I'll use you that know, word. Caught the ire of a lot of people. But in any event, him and Benavides. I mean, I have my quarrels with it being worthy of being the main event of pay per view for seventy five dollars, but that's a different matter. Uh, just as a matchup. I'm definitely interested in the fight. It's a good matchup. Uh, we're you know waiting to see what they end up doing with the undercard. Uh, PBC's got a whole bunch of fights that they're uh, that they've got that they're trying to do that they're trying to slot in different places. So the undercard's not quite ready to be announced yet. I, you know I've heard a few things, but nothing that you know that's definitive. Uh, but as a main event goes, it's a good fun fight. And uh, whether the winner actually gets a chance to fight Canelo is open for discussion. Uh, I'd have a hard time seeing him fighting Caleb Plant again for, you know, there wouldn't really be a, a motivation or a real reason. Benavides, for my money, is a great matchup with Canelo. That That's would a be a tremendous fight. fight. Sure. Um, but it's still open-ended what Canelo is going to do. There's there's no, he has no promotional deals. He has no broadcast deals presently. He's free to go about and do whatever he wants. Obviously, he has been talking uh, with different people about what he wants to do. Um, you know, Eddie Hearn likes to, to go out and do his interviews, make it seem like he's got him locked up. That's not true. Um, you know, is he talking to PBC? They may have something to offer him. I'm even told that there's been some conversations to see what maybe is out there for him in terms of the top ranked universe uh, to do some kind of fight down the road, you know, and in, in, I should say in his next fight. So uh, it, it remains to be seen, but, but the bottom line is the winner of that fight between plant and Benavides is going to be the mandatory, but more importantly, they're going to have a signature victory on their record because if you ask me, David Benavides, while he's a really exciting fighter, has a resume that's basically devoid of anything significant. And Caleb Plant, although he's had a world title, does not have really a really big win in my mind either. Uh, but if they beat the other guy, that's going to be their best win. So I'm definitely uh, interested to watch that fight for sure. And they both beat Anthony Durrell at different times. Uh, Which is a good win, but is that a, is that a career-defining right. victory? It's you know it's okay, it's a good win, but it's not like. And Benavides, we should say this, has screwed himself a couple of times with a positive drug test. You kind of make quick reference to this, and then he lost the title on the scale in the pandemic yes. year. And had he not done that, he was in line to fight Canelo Alvarez more than likely. Uh, he was going to more than likely get the shot to fight Alvarez, but he lost the title became an interim situation again. And Canelo eventually got the WBC belt after that fighting somebody else. Uh, I think he fought uh, Yildirim, right? And got the WBC belt, if I'm not mistaken. They made him the WBC champ because of that, because they had stripped Ooh. Benavides. I think I have that right. You'll correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I, anyway, I, I, I don't know. I, I, wasn't even, I wasn't even listening to that. It doesn't matter. Okay, but in, in any event, uh, we'll see if Benavides can finally get that big-time title fight if he gets the win over Plant or not. All right, other fight announcements. Speaking, let's stick with the Showtime PBC uh, theme before that March fight. February 25th, a uh, very intriguing uh, vacant title fight. Subriel Matias and Jeremias Ponce uh, will do battle. They had been trying to have this fight last year, couldn't have it. It's now on for February, and this is this is headlining a Showtime PBC triple header. Dan, give us more. Yeah, February 25th at the Armory in Minneapolis, which has become a real go-to place for PBC, a, a good crowd that turns out for those events, whether there's local fighters or not. It's the hometown, uh, the adopted hometown of David Morrell, who brings in a crowd. They also have the other favorite son, of active fighters from Minneapolis that's on the card is uh, Jamal James, who's returning from his loss in the WBA regular welterweight title fight. He'll be on the, in the co-feature against Alberto Palmetta, a, uh, a, an Olympian from Argentina. And then the opening fight will be a clash of prospects who have suffered losses, but still are young and still have good potential. And that's uh, Elvis Rodriguez taking on Joseph uh, Adornio. Uh, coincidentally, two fighters that had been cut by top rank, but still, for whatever they're, they had those reasons that top rank had, but these are two young fighters to keep an eye on. And, you know, it's going to be a real uh, interesting matchup to see who can take the next step because the guy who loses, unfortunately will probably be taking a big, big step back, but the guy that wins is going to be in a real good spot 
those guys are junior welterweights also. Um, the main event, obviously, if you remember when Josh Taylor was undisputed, uh, one by one, the title started either being stripped or, or, or vacated by him. He decided to go towards the uh, Jack Catterall rematch, which unfortunately has now been postponed, as we talked about in the, mo- in, the, in the last podcast. In any event, the IBF title was one of the titles that was vacated. So now it's Matias and Ponce uh, for that title. Now, these guys, TJ, not the most well-known guys. But let me tell you something. If you're familiar with either of them, very, very good matchup. Sabriel Matias is a just a downright gunslinger puncher, can to knock anybody out, tremendous punching power. Just has the one loss, which he avenged, um, you know, 18 and one with 18 knockouts, just a, you know, cold as ice, you know, knockout puncher. And, uh, and Ponce, uh, who I've seen a couple of times, is a good fighter too. Fearless, went, uh, had his biggest win uh, when, he knocked, when, he, um, when he knocked out Lewis Ritson, who was an up and coming British fighter at the time, knocked him out in his hometown of Newcastle, England in uh, 2021 in what was considered an upset, but he fought a really good fight that night. He's 27 and two. 14 knockouts and it's just you know it's a good quality uh fight i guess matias will probably be favored but i don't think it's like some crazy uh you know huge odds it shouldn't be anyway and uh again you know it's not the deepest it's not the let me not deepest it's not the most star-studded card because a lot of these guys are not known remember originally showtime was planning for Stephen fulton and figueroa's rematch brandon figueroa's rematch to top this card fulton is in a different direction now as he tries to tidy up a deal to uh, take on uh, the Bantamweight star moving up, uh, Noyoya Inouye. So they've got three good fights on the card. It just doesn't have a lot of star power. But if you're a diehard, enjoy the card because it should be a good one. All right, we're going to keep roll calling here a couple more of these and then a little nostalgia with Dan before we are done. Uh, Robesi Ramirez is going to be back in action in April. Top rank made that official as well on uh, Thursday, and the date will be April 1st. Uh, coming up for him to fight Isaac Dog Bay. Any more on that, including the undercard? Well, they announced that it's going to be for the interim WBO featherweight title, but there's a very good likelihood because they announced it. To, you know, on as we're talking, they announced it on Thursday. But before this fight takes place, at the beginning of February, you have the WBO's featherweight title holder, which is Emmanuel Navarrete. He is moving up to 130. He has a fight on ESPN coming up, where he's going to fight. Uh, for the title, the vacant title in that weight division, the one that was uh, stripped away from Shakur Stevenson for failing to make the weight. So if Navarrete, whatever he does, wins or loses, he's going to have to decide and tell the WBO, am I going to stay at 130 pounds and be your champion there if he wins? If he loses, is he going to stay there? Or win or lose, is he going to decide to go back to 126 pounds and defend the title? If he does decide to go back to 126, his obligation will will be to fight the winner of Ramirez versus Dog Bay, but most likely, given how much he struggled in making weight in his last fight against uh, Eduardo Baez, he's going to stay at 130 pounds, whatever happens. And I suspect by the time April 1st rolls around, you know, because it's going to be well over a month after uh, mm-hmm. the Navarrete fight, a decision will have been made. I forget what the exact timeline is. He, you know, he might have uh, 14 days or or something along those lines to make that call. That by the time that Robesi Ramirez and uh, and Dogbe get into the ring, we'll know for sure. Is it going to be for the interim title or is it going to be for the vacant world title? I suspect it's going to wind up being for the vacant world title. And that's a good matchup. Uh, Dogbe is a former champion in the 122-pound division. Ramirez uh, was the brilliant two-time Olympic, uh, Olympic gold medal winner for Cuba, had that uh, incredibly shocking loss in his professional debut, which he avenged a few fights later and has looked really good in recent fights. And the undercard, uh, the co-feature anyway, they announced a bunch of prospects for the undercard, but the, the main thing for the uh, co-feature is you got the the great prospect Xander Zayas is going to be on on the show in an eight rounder and uh, you know he's taking on uh, Ronald Cruz and we'll just continue to see the development of this tremendous young fighter in Xander Zayas and I'm looking forward to seeing Navarrete fight next Friday night because he's one of those power punching guys needs to probably be a little more active let's see what he looks like at 130 pounds so you made mention Shakur Stevenson vacated uh, those belts he actually lost the belts on the scale but he's decided yes. I'm not going to go try to regain them Uh, the WBO and WBC 130-pound title. So he will fight the next week on top rank, correct, with some other top rank rising stars. Stevenson won't be in a world title fight, but he'll fight the following week, April the 8th, correct? So back to April 1 real quick. The April 1 card is going to be an ESPN Plus only card. Okay. And it's taking place at the Hard Rock in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And as you mentioned, the following week, Shakur Stevenson is back back in action. Now, this has not been officially announced yet. They haven't... uh, 
put out anything specific yet about it. But, you know, as I have written, I think others have written also, he is ticketed to be on uh, the main event on, on April 1st. Uh, he will be fighting back once again in his hometown of Newark, New Jersey at the Prudential Center, which was the same location where he had the fight against Ropes and Consasau in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the, last fight where the one that he didn't make the weight for and ultimately because of that was stripped of his two uh, world titles. Um, so that that's uh, a hometown fight for him, but this is not going to be a world title fight. What this will be will be a title eliminator. It will be for the mandatory in the WBC's lightweight division. So it's an important fight for him if it's not, even though it's not going to be um, for the world title. So it's, uh, you know, Shakur is just keeping the chains moving. He's, he's not going to be fighting a, a, uh, a guy that maybe has been, the most known fighter to uh, the American audience. He's fighting a Japanese fighter, and I'm trying to remember his name. Um, not a um, He's a guy that's been on some of the cards that Top Rank did, or that they televised anyway, that was uh, from Japan. He's fighting, I'm looking up the guy. It's, Yoshino. Uh, Shu- it's, uh, Shihiro Yoshino, right? Yeah. The, uh, who, the who, by the way, is an undefeated fighter, not that well known to the Americans. I mean, he's been on the ESPN Plus broadcast, and he watched some of their shows from Japan. But he does have two very solid victories in a row. He's got a knockout against uh, Masayashi Nakatani, who people would know from having fought the likes of Vasily Lomachenko, for example, um, and fought against Tiafimo Lopez and gave him a tough fight. He also has a win in his most recent fight that took place um, uh, in April, or two fights ago, I should say, where he had a win over uh, the former 130-pound world champion, Masayuki Ito. So he's fighting the Japanese, the, the top guys from Japan, and that put him high up in the ratings. And so they're trying to finalize a deal top rank is with his people to do him against Shakur. But let's be honest, Shakur Stevenson is a brilliant otherworldly talent. And I don't care if, you know who you are right now. You're going to have a hard time if you're a 130-pounder, 135-pounder uh, beating a Shakur Stevenson. And that goes for you know, even the top, top guys that goes for the Lomachenko's and Devin Haney's and, you know, whoever else you want to toss into that mix, uh, Javante Davis, uh, Ryan Garcia, whoever Shakur's got that kind of talent. Um, so it's hard to see this dude coming over from Japan, going to Shakur's hometown and, uh, and scoring the upset against him. But what it does is it will give Shakur the chance to become the mandatory, uh, in the WBC. Cause look, at the end of the day, when, when the Haney Lomachenko fight happens and they're going to get that done most likely that will happen sometime in the early spring whoever wins that fight particularly if it's Haney or I should say if it's Haney you you know he's moving up to 140 pounds he's he's already been bursting to to go up there it's so hard for him to make 35 uh Lomachenko different story maybe that fight would happen but if it's Haney that's the winner he's moving up and that title will become vacant and then Shakur theoretically would fight for the vacant title maybe even against a Lomachenko potentially have that match with Devin Haney goes um, but the point is he's they're positioning him for a chance to fight for a lightweight world title. And the in the other thing that's cool about the card, again, hasn't been announced yet. I reported this on my uh, Fight Freaks Unite newsletter a few days ago, that the two other fights of consequence on that card uh, will be the next fights for the, the excellent heavyweight prospect, Jared Anderson, who I had as the 2021 prospect of the year, as well as the lightweight that I mentioned earlier, Keyshawn Davis, the Olympic silver medal winner from Tokyo uh, in the delayed Olympics uh, yep. from 2020. He will be in the other fight uh, who was the 2022 prospect of the year. They are the two best prospects in the top ranked stable. As I mentioned every week, practically the best prospect stable in the sport and two of the best prospects in the entire sport period. And uh, it'll be a pleasure to watch them do their thing again. Uh, they were both on the car together back this past December in New York on the TFEMO undercard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure that they're going to continue to be putting them together because, and then I think in the next fight after this, there's a very good chance that, uh, depending on who they can get as an opponent, maybe two fights down the road, that we'll see Jared move into a main event level fight. I know Top Rank is anxious to bring him, uh, perhaps this summer to do a fight in his hometown of Toledo, Ohio, um, that he would headline. So, uh, if you want to see three of the best young fighters in boxing, two great prospects, and uh you know, a future star slash pound for pound guy like Shakur, there's a, there's a chance to see them together on the same show. Love all of this. One more uh, fight of note. We have a reschedule for Stanionis and Virgil Ortiz. Stanionis had the appendectomy, had the appendicitis. So this fight back on, and this is one of the top welterweight contenders and, and arguably Golden Boy's uh, top fighter right now. Uh, to be back in the ring. What what do we have for the makeup date now for the reschedule? Well, they, they were supposed to have the fight in March. Golden Boy had won the purse bid for this fight. 
Uh, as you mentioned, great matchup. Really, really good matchup. Two undefeated guys, exciting, both in their 20s, both not even probably in their prime yet. Uh, clash, you know, styles that just are perfect for each other. They're going to come to each other, but they have skills. Anyway, supposed to be in March. Uh, Stanley Otis had the emergency appendectomy. Um, at the time, his manager, Shelly Finkel, said that they hoped he'd be ready for April. That is, in fact, the case. The fight's going to be rescheduled. Uh, Golden Boy hasn't officially announced it yet, but I've talked to uh, both sides. They both acknowledge that that's the date. Uh, April 29th, main event on the zone. The fight will still take place in the Dallas area. They don't have a specific venue yet. That is the home region where Virgil Ortiz is from. Uh, Shelly Finkel told me when I spoke to him this week that that Virgil is fine since his surgery. And April 29th is fine with them, but he made the point that if they needed us or the fight had a, you know, the date was going to be earlier in April, that uh, he would have been ready to go then also. So uh, not a long delay, only about a month or so. And uh, it's just a great uh, matchup. I mean, of a of a year that's been pretty lackluster in terms of the really uh, fights that you're really looking forward to. Uh, that's probably one of the ones I would be most looking forward to, along with maybe the Benavides and Plant fight so far that's actually on the calendar. Hopefully we'll get that Gervonta Davis tank. Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia fight situated. We can look forward to that also. Love all of and this. Anyway, as an update on that, just real quick. Um, I've been asked this a million times. What's going on with that? What's going on with that is that both sides are slogging through the paperwork. It takes a couple of weeks to go through everything and deal with it. And uh, I think also, and nobody has said this outright, I think there's a chance that just because uh, Tank Davis, you know, in the next two weeks has his trial in uh, in Baltimore for the, uh, the uh, hit and run that we've talked about many times, that they may wait to see what happens with that before they go forward and do any kind of formal announcement. They may sign the paperwork or get it done, but they're not going to look to go all out publicly and make huge uh, news if they don't know 100% what's happening with the court case. So I can understand every, that part. Yeah, go ahead and agree to the deal and then keep the low profile and see sure. how the court case goes. I agree so with I, that. I guess the point is this. No news is probably good news, and just everybody should just relax. If it gets beyond Tank Davis's court case and you still don't hear something, then I would say put your antenna up and maybe have a little bit of concern. But at the moment, uh, they're making the sausage and nothing to worry about, I don't think. And we got a couple of months, and, and Ryan Garcia should be training because he's not fighting this weekend and should be ready to go. Uh, I saw a video of him on his uh, Instagram. He's supposedly, you know, I saw him doing road work, so he's doing his thing. All right, we'll find out. Nostalgia time before we're gone. Oh, hold on. We're uh, not talking about Floyd Mayweather and uh, your boy Aaron Chalmers. In the, are you going to sub Are you going to subject me to that? Another <laughs> exhibition for Floyd Mayweather. Another another money grab and another one where Rayfield will come on and say, "I'm embarrassed, but I'm watching." TJ's not watching, but you'll watch and see whatever he does in in this fight. That's in the UK, right? He's fighting yeah, in the UK have, on yeah. the exhibition. They'll have it at the O2 Arena on February 25th. I think we've covered that. We have. Uh, may the force be with you if you're going to watch that. Uh, nostalgia time. <laughs> um, you were ringside for a fight 21 years ago, what, today or 21 years ago, Friday, as we released the podcast Thursday night into Friday. Uh, 21 years ago, Thursday, the 26th of January. How about that? Sugar Shane Mosley and the late Vernon Forrest. Give me some more. on. I remember watching that fight. You were there ringside. Give me more. I mean, it was a very historic fight. Uh I just I remember it like yesterday. I mean, Shane Mosley at that time, uh, for you younger ones, Shane was considered the number one fighter pound for pound. A lot of people say, well, what about Roy Jones? Yeah, Roy was up there, but Roy was in a situation at that moment where he was largely inactive, hadn't been fighting, had kind of been bickering with HBO about opponents and taking some time off, and nobody doubted his greatness or his talent. But Shane was active and just destroying guys, and most people at that point had moved Shane ahead of uh, Roy Jones. I mean, he had defeated... Uh, in the first fight I ever covered of Shane Mosley in person or Oscar De La Hoya, I had gone to LA and watched Shane Mosley and Oscar put on one of the all-time great fights. It's still one of my favorite fights to this day. Mm -hmm. June of 2000, Shane defeated Oscar that night in their first match, won the WBC welterweight title, and was anointed by many people that night as pound for pound. Then he went on a, a, a terrorizing streak of three straight knockouts against good but not great opponents, but just destroyed guys and like you're like this guy is unbelievable he was just pummeling them and uh julio diaz um shannon taylor who i can still hear when he hit him in the ribs like i was ringside for that fight at caesar's palace in mm. the ballroom you could you could literally hear the rib crack in the Ooh. uh in the in the fight um and then he knocked out adrian stone again good fighters but not great fighters but so there was a real movement from people pre-twitter days but people really wanted to see Shane step up and fight another top, top guy. 
Vernon Forrest was undefeated, had no real um, big recognition. He had been on the Olympic team in 1992 in Barcelona. He had gotten to the Olympic team by beating Shane Mosley in the, in the, in the amateur tournament to, to select the Olympic team. And it was a big upset. So he, he knocked Shane, who was the favorite to make the team and Vernon went to the Olympics. Um, that was the Olympics where Oscar De La Hoya, his teammate ended up winning the gold medal. In any event, Vernon turned pro kind of unloved and not a lot of attention on him. He was with main events. They were getting him fights, but he, they were having a hard time moving him along and getting big name opponents. They finally got him to a position where he won a world title. He won the IBF title. He was undefeated. He was like 33 and 0 or something like that. And there was now the chance to make this matchup uh, with Shane Mosley. And one of the big ways he got that fight, frankly, was because his advisor was Al Heyman. It was the very first boxer that Al Heyman worked with. And he was able to help make that deal. That was, that was Al's, entree into boxing was signing Vernon Forrest and uh and going to work with HBO on his career. He got him that fight with Shane Mosier or helped facilitate that fight. Um so it was really positioned as Shane has taken on his toughest test since Oscar. Can he avenge the amateur loss, which was the talk of the promotion? You know, is it going to be repeat? Is it going to be revenge? Does amateurs count? Does it make a difference when you're in a pro fight? Does he have his number? All that stuff. Uh you know, he gave up the IBF title rather than make a a a very uh, low-level, non-lucrative, mandatory defense. He gave up the IBF title to take on Mosley. So it should have been a unification fight. As it turned out, it was only for the WBC belt that Shane Mosley had. But they had it at the Madison Square Garden Theater, which at the time, I believe it set the all-time record. It sold out. It set the all-time gate record at that moment for that. Uh, they probably could have done it somewhere bigger, but they wanted to have Shane in New York. And I remember there was a lot of discussion. Should it have been in a bigger location? In any event, it was at the theater spectacular atmosphere and everybody expected a big Shane Mosley win. And what happened? Tell me what happened, TJ. Vernon Forrest took it to him. He and sure upset did. Him. And I remember watching that night uh, and it was the culmination of his dream of becoming a world champ and on a big stage. If I remember that correctly. Yeah. I mean, he had had, a, he he had, had all the that. world title. He had had the IBF title, but he had won it on an undercard. This was a big main event. And the thing that I remember vividly, and I wrote about this in my Substack the other day as I was reminiscing because I have the poster that I uh, put in there as a, as a nice photograph. Anyway, in the second round when Shane Mosley got dropped by Vernon Forrest with a hail of punches, including a big right hand and an uppercut. And I can still hear this in my mind. I swear. There's a few moments there. I can hear the way the crowd, I can still like feel it in my in my heart, in my mind when you think about it. The entire crowd, it's like 5,000 people at the, at the, uh, at the theater, at the, at the garden at the exact same time was like, <gasps> like there was just this audible mm-hmm. gasp from the entire crowd. Like I cannot fucking believe what just happened. Shane Mosley, who had never been knocked down, who had never been close to being knocked down or hurt, not only was hurt, but was down and down and then down again. And again, you can't see this on the, on the broadcast cause it wasn't in the camera angle. But I vividly remember, and they used to seat the media differently at the theater. We were we were on the side, not on the TV side. So you could actually see us at ringside as opposed to now they shoot from behind your head. In any right. event, to my left was Shane Mosley's corner. And I can specifically and vividly remember that when his son was getting beat up in that fight, that Jack Mosley, who was Shane's trainer and father, went up the steps with the white towel. And Cassius Green, who was the cut man for Shane Mosley, and people might remember him, he was the guy that always wore the white sailor cap. Yes. Pulled him down off the steps to keep him from throwing in the towel. Wow. And Shane made it to the final bell. He had a warrior heart. He always did, a great chin. Uh, He made it to the final bell. He lost a clear decision. But that was the crowning moment of Vernon Forrest's career, which unfortunately, uh, you know, a number of years ago was cut short. Uh, He was murdered. Uh, It was very sad. Vernon... Uh, never really had he was kind of surly with the media never really had any use for uh for us guys um i respected him but to be quite honest i didn't really like him he didn't really like me but he was a he was a tremendous fighter uh but that was the biggest night of his life and he he put on a great performance six months later i was there in indianapolis when they had the rematch and he beat shane mosley again mm-hmm. in a much different manner this time he didn't he didn't beat him up but he, he really outboxed him and i guess you could now make the point that he absolutely had Shane Mosley's number because he beat him in the amateurs and then he beat him in two different styles in the pros. And one thing he said to me uh, one time when I was talking to Vernon about it, when, when everybody was questioning, how are you going to beat that blazing speed of Shane Mosley? And he would look you right in the eye and he'd say, listen, a good jab beats speed. It's because Vernon knew he didn't have the hand speed. 
And and guess what? The good jab beat the beat the speed. And he was 100 percent right about that. Uh, and I just want to say real quick, when it comes to that moment I mentioned to you about round two, when the whole crowd gasped and it's like in my mind's eyes, still, there are a few moments over time over the big fights I have fortunately been able to attend where you where there are specific moments that you can hear and feel. I can still if you if you mention it, I'll still know what it felt mm. like or what it sounded like. And there's a couple of moments that spring to my mind besides Shane Mosley getting dropped by Vernon Forrest. It's when Julio Cesar Chavez dropped Sergio Martinez in round 12 of their fight. He had lost every round, every second of every round, except for the you know 12 or 15 seconds that uh, that Martinez was uh, on the deck and then recovering. Uh, there's that moment. There's the moment in which uh, Juan Manuel Marquez face-planted Manny Pacquiao for the mm-hmm. knockout. There's the knockout of Manny Pacquiao scoring against Ricky Hatton, yep. where you were like, oh, my God. There is the atmosphere and the electricity that surged in Madison Square Garden on the night that Felix Trinidad knocked out William Joppy to become the WBA middleweight champion, where I can still sort of hear the air horns in my mind. Um, the entry of Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward as they came into Boardwalk Hall for their rematch, because we didn't know what had happened in the rematch yet because it hadn't taken place, but it was the crowd is saluting them for what they had done in their first fight that was so popular and such an incredible fight. And so... That Shane Mosley, I might have to write a column about this, about those moments. But that moment of Shane Mosley getting dropped by Vernon Forrest 21 years ago today, and Vernon then ended up winning the world title. Uh, I will never forget that the, the, the I can tell and the and the and the electricity and the atmosphere of that moment. 21 years later, it still sticks with you. And you're right, uh, Vernon Forrest. And speaking of Gotti, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, right oh, around. Oh, and Gotti was on that undercard, by the way. Say, same like year, the same three or four month time period. Vernon Forrest was murdered in a robbery where he was trying to chase down, I think, whoever had robbed him and ended up getting shot and got killed. Uh, you had Gotti's mysterious death in Brazil, which his family for the longest time believed was not a suicide and may still believe was not a suicide, that something else happened. And Alexis Arguello, the legendary fighter, took his life with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. All of that happened like within the same three or four months, if I remember. It was correctly. less. It was like really, it was actually, I think it was really a few weeks to tell you the truth. That's amazing. It was, it was like over, over the course of that summer, Vernon was at a gas station in Atlanta and he got robbed and he tried to chase him down. And like you said, uh, he was shot. Um, Arguello was one of the most heartbreaking things ever. Gaddy, my favorite fighter, as everybody knows, was just awful. I mean, yeah, I'll be honest. I, I shed a lot of tears that summer. Morbid. I mean, to, Morbid um, to think about those great fighters all being gone. And, and as, we, that as we talk about the thing with, with uh, the, the, the big victory that, that Vernon had over Shane Mosey that night, 21 years ago, in the co-feature on HBO that night was Arturo Gaddy, who had, in his previous fight that I was at, was pummeled by Oscar De La Hoya, who was coming back after a layoff, trying to get himself back together after he had lost to Shane Mosley and and was trying to reposition. He had left, you know, left top rank and was setting out on his own, etc. Anyway, uh, Gaddy made his comeback on that undercard uh, against Teron Millette, who was a former title holder in the 140-pound weight class. So he had Gaddy Millette in the co-feature. You had the Shane Mosley-Vernon uh, first fight in the main event, and Gaddy scored a knockout and was able to move on from there and had – uh, another run where he had the three great fights with Mickey Ward, had won another world title, defended it several times, ultimately had the fight with Mayweather. Yep. Um, and then, you know, his career petered out, obviously, and then he tragically died too. Uh, but yeah, to have to have those three greats, uh, Gaddy, uh, Mosley, and Vernon all in the same show together, you know, in, in somewhat important fights, that was a pretty big deal. Those were the days, my man. And no, I should... was not, it was not a pay-per-view. And I should mention to the audience that my man Rayfield just did the bulk of that, if not all of that, off the top of his head. You're a machine. I compliment you so many different ways. I mean, you're rattling off the undercard fight was this. This guy fought here. And he's, uh, folks, I'm saying to you, he's not looking at anything while he's talking about that. So that's incredible nostalgia. We love that. Check out Dan Substack. It's for the in my brain. I understand I that. Uh, but it's it's remarkable to me that you know the undercard fight and you know where the next fight was without looking and that kind of thing uh, for stuff that was happening 15 and 20 years ago. That's why you are who you are. But okay, I, couldn't I, think, you, like, I couldn't tell you who I talked to on the phone yesterday. Unless I right, my phone. or what you had for breakfast. I understand. We're <laughs> yeah. all getting that way. Uh, all right, so once again, uh, as we wind it down, Better BF Yard will have previews, recaps on the website. Make sure you're with us for the BetUS Boxing Show live 1 Eastern time. On Friday on the BetUS platforms, YouTube, uh, social media, Twitter, uh, Twitch, everywhere else that it's on. 
So uh, we look forward to previewing that fight, the other world title fight, the world flyweight title fight that's on there. If you don't see us live, you can obviously watch that show later on on BetUS on Friday and Saturday. And you and I will come back in with a Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend, whatever happens uh, for this weekend. And we suspect better BF should win and may even win by knockout and win fairly easily. That's why they lace them up. That's why they have the fight. We'll recap all of it coming off the weekend. In the meantime, try to behave. Try not to figuratively elbow drop anybody else between now and when we do the recap on social media. Is Listen, that I was possible? very as much as they may deserve it. I'm just saying, TJ, my man, I was. And here's the deal: you're talking about what we started off the podcast with, with all what what the back and forth I had with uh, Rick Merging, the manager of Zero Ramirez. I was very respectful to him because I like Rick and I do respect him. I think he's done a good job with his fighters. He advocates for them. He's passionate about what he does. But every now and again, you know, you're going to have a disagreement. I, I don't. It's not like he's a bad guy. We just have a dis uh, a disagreement or a differing point of view about the way that particular situation for that one gotcha. fight was handled. So I don't want anybody to make the mistake that somehow I'm in a war with Rick Merigin or we have a we're enemies or anything. On the contrary, I have high high respect for Rick um, and have as long as I have known him ever since Jose Ramirez. Uh, became professional and he was his manager. So it, again, it's just a difference of opinion. And uh, both Rick and I can both get a little bit uh, surly at times. Let's put it like that. Yes. But you know what? You're lovable. Surly, but lovable. <laughs> and Mrs. Rayfield agrees. All right. On that note, uh, have a great weekend. We'll see you on the BetUS show. They can watch us on YouTube. We'll be back. Fight Free Tonight. Recap off the weekend. We'll read you as well on your Substack as well as BigFightWeekend.com. Thank you, Dan Rayfield. Behave. Thank you, TJ. You behave yourself. All right. We will uh, be back off the weekend. As I mentioned, make sure you follow, subscribe. You're with us here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview and the podcast feed. For now, we are good. Enjoy Better BF and Yard and everything else on the weekend as we are done now for the Big Fight Weekend Preview.